Hello, hello. So we're going to get right back into it. We're going to pick up where we left off um, with Carl Jung. So uh, Carl Jung preferred to think of libido as psychic energy in general, not just psychic energy rooted in sexuality. So Jung defined the ego as the conscious mind, and he divided the unconscious into two parts, the personal unconscious and the collective unconscious. The collective unconscious is a powerful system that is shared among all humans and considered to be a residue of the experiences of our early ancestors. Its building blocks are images of common experiences, like having a mom and dad. These images have an emotional element and are referred to as archetypes, so like the god and the devil. And there are several important Jungian archetypes. The persona is likened to a mask that we wear in public and is the part of our personality that we present to the world. Like our identity, Jung described the persona as adaptive to our social interactions, emphasizing those qualities that improve our social standing and suppressing our other less desirable qualities. The anima, feminine, and the animus, masculine, describe sex inappropriate qualities. So feminine behaviors in males and masculine behaviors in females. So... The shadow archetype is responsible for the appearance of unpleasant and socially reprehensible thoughts, feelings, and actions experienced in the conscious mind. The self to Jung was the point of the intersection between the collective unconscious, the personal unconscious, and the conscious mind. The self strives for unity. Jung symbolizes the self as a mandala, um, which is Sanskrit for a circle. Jung saw the mandala as symbol of the universe in Buddhism and Hinduism as the mythic expression of the self, the reconciler of opposites and promoter of harmony. Chung also developed word association testing to assess how unconscious elements may be influencing the conscious mind and thus the self. So patients must respond to a single word with the first word that comes to mind, and the patient responses in combination with the mood, and speed of response will reveal elements of the unconscious. So there's three dichotomies of personality. Extroversion, E, orientation toward the external world, versus introversion, I, orientation toward the inner and personal world. Sensing, S, obtaining objective formation about the world versus intuiting, N, working through the information abstractly. Thinking, T, using logic and reason versus feeling, F, using a value system or personal beliefs. And so, in most individuals, both sides exist to some degree, but one dominates. Jung's work led the groundwork for the creation of the Myers-Briggs type inventory, um, a classic personality test. So, each of them plus a fourth judging J, preferring orderliness versus perceiving. P, preferring spontaneity, is labeled as a specific personality type. So, um, let's see. So, psychoanalysis gained a following. Um, more later psychoanalysts emphasized social rather than sexual motivations. So, Jung. Alfred Adler, whose theory focused on the immediate social imperatives of family and society and their effects on unconscious factors. Adler was the originator of the inferiority complex, an individual's sense of incompleteness, imperfection, and inferiority both physically and socially. So striving for superiority drives the personality, and this striving enhances the personality when it is oriented toward benefiting society, but yields disorder when it is selfish. The notions of the creative self and a style of life were also important to Adler's theory, so the creative self is the force by which each individual shapes his uniqueness and establishes his personality. Style of life represents the manifestation of the creative self and describes a, person, a person's unique way of achieving superiority. The family environment is crucial in molding the person's style of life. Another important concept in Adler's theory of personality is fictional finalism. This is the notion that an individual is motivated more by expectations on the future than by past experiences. So human goals are based on the subjective or fictional estimate of life's values rather than the objective data from the past. 
So life would be perfect if only is a perfect way to sum up fictional finalism. So the difference between Freud's dog and Adler, whereas Freud's major assumption is that behavior is mo uh, motivated by inborn instincts and Jung's principal axiom is that a person's conduct is governed by inborn archetypes. Adler assumes that people are primarily motivated by striving for superiority. Karen Horney, another dissenting student of Freud's, likewise argued that personality is a result of interpersonal relationships and adamantly disagreed with many of Freud's assumptions about women, such as the concept of penis envy. Horney postulated that individuals with neurotic personalities are governed by one of ten neurotic needs, each directed toward making life and interactions bearable, so like the need for affection and approval, the need to exploit others, and the need for self-sufficiency and independence. So while healthy people have these needs to some degree, Horney emphasizes that these needs become problematic if they fit at least one of four criteria, that they're disproportionate in intensity, that they're indiscriminate in application, that they partially, that they partially disregard reality, or that they have a tendency to provoke intense anxiety. So someone with a neurotic need for self-sufficiency and independence would go to great extremes to avoid being obligated to someone else in any way. With the central focus of the person's life, it would be a neurotic need and not a healthy one. Um, Horney's primary concept is that of basic anxiety, so this is based on the premise that a child's early perception of self is important and stems from the child's relationship with his or her parents. Inadequate parenting can cause vulnerability and helplessness, which Horney termed basic anxiety, while neglect and reduction cause anger, known as basic hostility. To overcome these and attain a degree of security, the child uses three strategies in his or her relationship with others, so moving toward people to obtain the goodwill of people who provide security, moving against people, or finding um, them to obtain the other upper hand, and moving away or withdrawing from people. These three strategies are the general headings under which the ten neurotic needs fall, so healthy people use all three strategies depending on the situation. However, the highly threatened child will use one of these strategies rigidly and exclusively and carries the strategy into adulthood. Object relations theory also falls under the realm of psychodynamic theories of personality. So object refers to the representation of parents or other caregivers based on subjective experiences during early infancy. These objects then persist into adulthood and impact our interactions with others, including the social bonds we create and our predictions of others' behaviors. In direct contrast to the psychoanalysts who focus on sick individuals and their troubling urges, humanistic or phenomenological theorists focus on the value of individuals and take a more person-centered approach, describing those ways in which healthy people strive towards self-realization. Humanism is often associated with gestalt therapy, in which practitioners tend to take a holistic view of the self, seeing each individual as a complete person rather than reducing him to individual behaviors or drives. For humanists, our personality is the result of the conscious feelings we have for ourselves as we attempt to attain our needs and goals. Kurt Lewin's force field theory puts very little stock in constraints on personalities such as fixed traits, habits, or structures such as the id, ego, and superego. So Lewin focused little on an individual's past or future and focused instead on situations in the present. And Lewin defined the field as one's current state of mind, which was simply the sum of the forces or influences on the individual at that time. Um, so if the focus of humanistic psychology is exploring how an individual reaches self-realization, then these forces could be divided into two large groups, those assisting in our attainment of goals and those blocking the path to them. So Abraham Maslow, whose hierarchy of needs that we already discussed, was a humanist. Um, he identified several characteristics that um, self-actualizers who had lived rich and productive lives had in common, so a non-hostile sense of humor, originality, creativity, spontaneity, and a need for some privacy. They're more likely than people who are not self-actualized to have what he called peak experiences, which are profound and deeply moving experiences in a person's life that have more important and lasting effects on the individual. 
George Kelly used himself as a model to theorize about human nature and set aside the traditional concepts of motivation, unconscious emotion, and reinforcement in his descriptions of a personal construct psychology. Kelly thought of the individual as a scientist, a person who devises and tests predictions about the behavior of significant people in his or her life. The individual constructs a scheme of anticipation of what others will do based on his or her knowledge, perception, and relationships with other people. So thus the anxious person, rather than being the victim of inner conflicts and pent-up energy, as in psychodynamic theory, is one who is having difficulty constructing and understanding the variables in the environment. So according to Kelly, psychotherapy is a process of insight whereby the individual acquires new constructs that will allow him or her to successfully predict troublesome events. Then the individual will be able to integrate these new constructs into already existing ones. So Carl Rogers, known for his technique known as client-centered, person-centered, or non-directive therapy, Rogers believed that people have the freedom to control their own behavior and are neither slaves to the unconscious nor subjects of faulty learning, um, which is what behaviorists would say, and then un slaves to the unconscious is what psychoanalysts would suggest. The person-centered therapist, therapist helps the client reflect on problems, make choices, generate solutions, take positive action, and determine his or her own destiny. Um, his therapeutic techniques aim to help clients reconcile the differences between the various selves and reduce stress-inducing incongruence. And Rogers pioneered the concept of unconditional positive regard, which is a therapeutic technique by which the therapist accepts the client completely and expresses empathy in order to promote a positive therapeutic environment. The type and trait theorists were also born out of dissatisfaction with psychoanalysis. Type theorists attempt to create a taxonomy of personality types, while trait theorists prefer to describe individual personality as a sum of a person's characteristic behaviors. Um, the ancient Greeks devised personality types based on humors or body fluids and imbalance of which could lead to various personality disorders. Um, in the early 20th century, William Sheldon proposed personality types based on body type called somatotypes. So all short, stocky people were jolly, all type, tall people were high, strong, and aloof, and people in between were strong and well-adjusted. Um, type theory divides personalities into types A and B. So type A is people who have more competitive and compulsive behavior, and type B is laid back and relaxed. So type A is more prone to heart disease, and there's not really much evidence to suggest that people with type A have higher mortality rate. Um, trait theorists use clusters of behaviors to describe individuals, so Hans and Sybil Isink use factor analysis to group behaviors that typically occur together, um, often called traits. So. The Isenks describe three traits in the Penn model. Psychoticism is a measure of nonconformity or social deviance. Extroversion is a measure of tolerance for social interaction and stimulation. And neuroticism is a measure of emotional arousal in stressful situations. Negative effect um, is related to neuroticism and describes how a person thinks of themselves and experiences negative emotions. So high negative effect corresponds with neuroticism, anxiety, and several mood disorders. Um, the Penn theory now has been expanded to the five-factor model, the big five. Um, which has um, five traits, openness, openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. So openness is the openness to, to experience or willingness to engage with the world and desire to try new things. Ploic uh, openness is associated with persevering in tasks and difficulty with abstraction. Conscientiousness is in some ways analogous to self-control with high conscientiousness associated with high impulse control and low conscientiousness associated with, associated with spontaneity. Agreeableness refers to the degree in which a person is connected about maintaining peace and harmony in their interactions with others. So we can think of the big five as ocean, openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, neuroticism. 
Gordon Alport listed three basic types of traits or dispositions, so cardinal, central, and secondary. Cardinal traits are traits around which a person organizes his or her life. Um, central traits just represent major characteristics of the personality that are easy to infer, like honesty or charisma. Secondary traits are other personality characteristics or traits that are more limited, so like something that only appears in close groups or specific social situations. And the main part of this theory is the concept of functional autonomy in which a behavior continues despite satisfaction of the drive that originally created the behavior. David McClelland identified a personality trait that is referred to as a need for achievement. People who are rated high in NACH tend to be a concerned with achievement and have pride in their accomplishments. They avoid high risks to avoid failing and low risks because easy tasks will not generate a sense of achievement and they set realistic goals and stop striving toward a goal if success was unlikely. Whoosh! There are so much content in this. Um, so some other theories of personality. There's the behaviorist perspective from B.F. Skinner. Um, personality is simply a reflection of behavior that has have been re reinforced over time. Therapy should focus on learning skills and changing behaviors through operant conditioning techniques. Then token economies are used in inpatient therapeutic settings, so positive behavior is rewarded with tokens that can be exchanged for privileges, treats, or other reinforcers. The social cognitive perspective takes behaviorism one step further, focusing not just on how our environment influences our behavior, but also on how we interact with that environment. So Albert Bandura's concept of reciprocal determinism is a central idea to this perspective. Reciprocal determinism refers to the idea that our thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and environment all interact with each other to determine our actions in a given situation. People choose environments that suit their personalities, and their personalities determine how they will feel about and react to events in those environments. Locus of control is another important concept. Some people feel more in control of their environment, while others feel that their environment controls them. So for a social cognitive theorist, the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior in similar situations. And on the other hand of the spectrum is the biological perspective, which holds that personality can be explained as a result of genetic expression in the brain. So the biological and trait perspectives are closely linked. Um, the dichotomy presented by the social cognitive and biological perspectives is similar. Um, whether behavior is primarily determined by an individual's personality, the dispositional approach, or by the environment and context, which is a situational approach. Um, okay, so concept summary time. Um, Self-concept and identity. So self-concept is the sum of the ways in which we describe ourselves in the present, who we used to be, and who we might be in the future. Our identities are individual components of our self-concept related to the groups to which we belong. Religious affiliation, sexual orientation, and ethnic and national affiliations are examples of identities. Self-esteem describes our evaluation of ourselves. So the closer our actual self is to our ideal self, who we want to be, and our ought self, who others want us to be, the higher our self-esteem will be. Self-efficacy is a degree to which we see ourselves as being capable at a given skill or in a given situation. When placed in a consistently hopeless scenario, self-efficacy can be diminished to the point where learned helplessness results. Locus of control is a self-evaluation that refers to the way that we characterize the influences in our lives. People with an internal locus of control see their successes and failures as a result of their own characteristics and actions, while those with an, internal, with an external locus of control perceive outside factors as having more of an influence in their lives. The formation of identity. Uh, Freud's psychosexual stages of personality development are based on the tensions caused by libido, so failure at any given stage leads to fixation that causes personality disorders. The phases are oral, anal, phallic, or edible, latent, and genital, and they're based on the erogenous zones that are the focus of each phase of development. Erickson's stages of psychosocial development stem from conflicts that occur throughout life, so trust versus mistrust, autonomy versus shame and doubt. 
Initiative versus guilt, industry versus inferiority, identity versus role confusion, intimacy versus isolation, generativity versus stagnation, and integrity versus despair. These conflicts are the result of decisions we are forced to make about ourselves and the environment around us at each phase of our lives. So Kohlberg's stages of moral development describe the approaches of individuals to resolving moral dilemmas. Kohlberg believed that we progress through six stages divided into three main phases, pre-conventional, conventional, and post-conventional. Vygotsky described development of language, culture, and skills. He proposed the idea that the zone of proximal development, which describes those skills that a child has not yet mastered and require a more knowledgeable other to accomplish. Initiation and role-taking are common ways children learn from others, so children first reproduce the behaviors of role models and then later learn to see the perspectives of others and practice taking on new roles. Our self-concept depends in part on our reference group or the group to which we compare ourselves, so two individuals with the same qualities might see themselves differently depending on how these qualities compare to their reference groups. Moving on to the lovely lengthy personality. Um, psychoanalytic perspective views personality as resulting from unconscious urges and desires. So Freud's theories are based on the id, base urges of survival and reproduction, the superego, the idealist and the perfectionist, and the ego, the mediator between the two and the conscious mind. The ego makes uses of the defense mechanisms to reduce stress caused by the urges of the id and the superego. Jung assumed a collective unconscious that links all humans together. He viewed the personality as being influenced by archetypes. Other psychoanalysts, such as Adler and Horney, have distanced themselves from Freud's theories, claiming that the unconscious is motivated by the social rather than sexual urges. The humanistic perspective emphasizes the internal feelings of healthy individuals as they strive towards happiness and self-realization. Maslow's hierarchy of needs and Rogers' therapeutic approach of unconditional positive regard flow from the humanistic view of personality. Type and trait theorists believe that personality can be described as a number of identifiable traits that carry characteristic behaviors. Type theories of personality include the ancient Greek notion of humors, Sheldon's somatotypes, divisions into types A and B, and the Myers-Briggs type inventory. Uh, why do I have a running nose? Okay. The ISENCs identified three major traits which could be used to describe all individuals. The acronym for these traits is PEN, psychoticism, nonconformity, extroversion, tolerance for social interaction and stimulation, and neuroticism, which is arousal in stressful situations. Later trait theorists expanded these traits to the big five, so openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. Alport defined, identified three basic types of traits, cardinal, central, and secondary. Cardinal are the traits around which a person organizes his or her life. Not everyone develops a cardinal trait. Central traits represent major characteristics of the personality, and secondary traits are more personal characteristics and are limited in occurrence. And then McClelland identified the personality trait for the need of achievement. The social cognitive perspective holds that individuals interact with their environment in a cycle called reciprocal determinism. People mold their environments according to their personalities, and those environments in turn shape our thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. The behaviorist perspective, based on the concept of operant conditioning, holds that personality can be described as the behaviors one has learned from prior rewards and punishments. And biological theorists claim that behavior can be explained as a result of genetic expression. So, no, that was a really, really dense chapter, um, but doesn't get any better so see you all in the person and person in the next podcast we'll be going through psychological disorders yay